mystery and horror, the air itself is filled with monsters. Children of the night, what music they make. Well, hello, all you monster fiends, and thank you for joining us for another deep dive, factoid-filled episode exploring Hollywood's most famous monsters. I am your master of ceremonies, and with me, as always, is Dan from Bleeding Marvelous. Say hello, Dan. Hello, Dan. So serious. (laughs) Why so serious? Why so serious, Dan? Oh, we are here this week, and we are taking on another universal monster <laughs> i wonder who it could be on dance backdrop this week <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's claude rains no <laughs> you're dying to know who i am aren't you oh wow we are doing the bride of frankenstein so i will get the disclaimer out the way with and we will crack open Crack open, crack into, crack on, uh, into the Bride of Frankenstein. So, everything discussed in today is our opinions and our opinions alone. If you'd like to discuss anything from today's episode, please come and join us in the comment in the comment comment section, where we can have an open discussion. What we won't have is anyone coming for us and telling us our opinions are wrong. We can all agree to disagree in fandom. So let's keep it fun, keep it kind, and keep the toxic behaviour out of nerdism. Thank you. I did notice last week that I did say comic or comet. <laughs> I couldn't say comment. <laughs> it been a long, long day. I don't know what happened last week. Last week, if uh, anyone wants to go back and watch, was an hour and a half of us talking nonsense. About Jigsaw. Jigsaw. <laughs> Still don't know what that's about, but still. It went, though, (laughs) and it went really well. But you got it out of your head. That's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. John Kramer is out of there now, and the bride is in there, and I don't know what's worse right now, Jigsaw or the bride. So we'll soon find out. So, The Bride of Frankenstein, released in 1935, scoring an impressive 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. I know. Directed by James Whale, starring the one and only Boris Karloff, Elsa Lanchester, Colin Clive, Ernest Tressinger. I could say it earlier today. And everyone's favourite screaming lady, Una O'Connor. So, to a new world of God and Monsters, we belong dead. As we bring you the Bride of Frankenstein. Ta-da. Thank That's you. That's some jazz hands right there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, most important question: Does the Bride make a good monster? She doesn't get enough time. This <laughs> purely That's here. probably the most obnoxious laugh I've ever done. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, um, I noticed I was. I'm, I've developed a bit of a. Uh, a snarf after my laughs at the moment for some reason so um i'm blaming hay fever either that or i'm morphing into some kind of animal so i apologize now but yeah that keeps happening so i would blame hay fever i blame it for everything everything that's wrong with me i just go 
Say to Viva. She's gonna do. Um yeah, she doesn't she's five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. Yeah, literally the last five minutes of the movie. The build up is all to that last five minutes. Um, I think it was perfect the amount of time she had because you established so much in those five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um but the movie was never about her. No. And even though it was called The Bride of Frankenstein, and you think it's going to be about The Bride of Frankenstein, it's not. No, it's not really. It's got such a deeper message than just the reveal of The Bride. And it's amazing how for five minutes screen time, we have one of the most iconic looking monster characters that has ever... (laughs) I should have... Do you know what? Just a disclaimer here. I have just touched my roots up with a root <laughs> pen. I should have left them. <laughs> so yes, the most iconic monster character. Yeah, she's um always been on my radar ever since I was little. There was something I found incredibly fascinating um, about her because she was so unconventionally beautiful, even with yeah. the scars. Like Jack Pierce was so. I saw the interview where someone had said, uh, I think Elsa covers it in her biography or mm-hmm. some biography she wrote about how Jack was so specific. It took him about two hours just to lay that bottom chin scar mm-hmm. because he wanted it to emphasize her chin to a point of where it made her look otherworldly. Like, it, yeah, she because she had the dimple. They mm-hmm. knew that she'd automatically be re- uh, recognised as playing the Mary Shelley character at the beginning. So they knew that yeah. there would be that that thing. So he wanted to take away, he wanted to, to still do a beautiful glamour makeup on her, mm-hmm. but he also wanted to take away the conventional lines of a, of a woman's face and replace it, make it try and look like it had been stretched and stuff without making it look gory. Yeah. Like it's- a Cenobite. Yeah, I, you know, I totally get what you mean. It's to define the line of the jawline to yeah. make it look like it being literally this. If the skin is taken up and pulled down, you are going to get like a tight jawline. Mm. Does work. I just, I just need me one of those. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, give me Jack Pierce's makeup any day, <laughs> as long as he doesn't do what he did to Karloff. It's all right. I don't want that no hot glue. No, it's fine. And speaking of Karloff. One thing, I've been watching a few documentaries today, and one thing that kind of bugged us was that he was credited as Karloff. Didn't even bother put. He was so well-known, they were like, it's okay. Fuck the Boris. <laughs> we're just going to call him Karloff. And Elsa wasn't even credited. She was a question mark. She has been now, apparently. When they've gone back in, um, if you buy any of the Universal box sets and you watch those, they apparently have yeah. changed the question mark to the bride, or it says um, Elsa now. I can't remember. I, I saw it on one of these many documentaries that I've watched. They basically said that she was a question mark, but uh, it was either after she died in 1986, I want to say she died. Uh, yeah, 86. After I that, they actually felt... check the date. I didn't actually check the date of her death because for some reason, don't know why, don't know how, Generally thought she was still alive. It's impossible. Yeah, she would have been 121 years old if she was still alive. 
Yeah, absolutely impossible, like I said. <laughs> I mean, it just still blows my mind. She's Katie Nana. Like, it's Katie Nana. <laughs> so, yeah, it's still, I, I, yeah, I thought she was still alive. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that Elsa was born in Lewisham in London. Mm. Um, and she was just from a normal place i mean what the biggest thing about it was she met james whale through um she owned a nightclub her and her husband invested in a nightclub when they were she just started doing a lot of stage shows and she had opened up the children's theater in london oh, wow. which is still going but it's in a, a different incarnation now but it, it she was the founder of the children's theater of london um so she opened this nightclub and uh, James started frequenting because it was more like a um, nightclub was a very liberal place. It right. was a, a, a bit bohemian because Elsa had been brought up in a family that was incredibly bohemian. Mm -hmm. um, I found out some really sad things about her, her mom. Basically, Elsa's parents did ne never got married, which back in 19, early 1900s, it's a no-no, obviously, as we all well know, bastards born out of wedlock, all that sort of thing. Um, but they were both very bohemian. They didn't believe in the ideals of marriage. They didn't believe in God. They were atheists. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and they wanted their children to grow and learn on their own. Um if they wanted to do something, they were happy to encourage the child to do it, but That's they didn't so want to push the child. especially like for the time. Yeah, so you're talking, Elsa was born in 1902. So yeah, yeah. she's definitely not alive. <laughs> At the age of 10, they enrolled her into um, a ballet school. But what actually happened to her mum was that the, her grandfather, Elsa's grandfather, her mother's dad, had her committed, had the mum committed because they said that her ideals um, were obviously in, she was insane because her ideals didn't fit oh, with clearly. the narrative of the time. My God. Um, which now you just look at and go, that's a normal person's ideals. It's, you know. Yeah. But in 19, early 1900s, it was a, a massive no-no. So she was committed to an insane asylum. Um, oh, my God. By, by her dad and her brothers. So... Her brothers crazy. had something to say about it. My goodness. Mm -hmm. But um, when Elsa decided she wanted to go into dance, she wanted to be a ballerina. She wanted to learn like free flowing, all that fancy kind of freestyle dance that they 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 started doing in the early two hundred uh, early nineteen. I'm just dancing away here. Yes, <laughs> free flowing. No, it, it's. I think ballet is just. It's a. It's a beautiful way of for dance. Like there's mm. something, there's something so, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, so statuesque about mm. ballet with with it being floor as well and having that perfect posture and everything. I just, not for me. Mm -hmm. Walk around with a stick up my arse or <laughs> absolutely no rhythm whatsoever. But I do get the the thing for ballet. Yeah. I mean, she... She, at the age of 10, they literally took her to Paris from oh. London and enrolled her in 1912 into the Isadora Duncan School of Dance in Paris. Now, I don't, this is a little bit of a side tangent, but I, I, I've, I've always known this story, but I thought I'd let share people because their names come up. 
Um, Isadora Duncan was a huge dance star in the early 1900s. She was uh, she was one of these women that was a free thinker as well, but she mm-hmm. didn't really publicize it. They just knew she was flighty. You know, she was very peculiar, but peculiar enough that it didn't bother people. Not so much that it annoyed people, if you know what I mean. She had a lane. Yeah. She, she was knew- quirky. That's the one. But uh, she became so incredibly famous for all of her dancing and I've been to dance school, obviously. And um, about in 1913, she lived quite a sad life, actually. In 1913, which is a year after uh, Elsa started at the dance school, uh, Isadora lost both of her children in an accident in a car where the car drove off a bridge and fell into the Seine. Is, 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 is that how you say it in Paris? The Seine? The Seine? river um and they drowned uh both oh the children my God. um so she then sort of went off the rails a little bit um and she got a little bit more experimental in her dancing and um she one day she decided <laughs> that she wanted to buy herself a uh soft top a convertible car um, as, you do. as you do and her being the extrovert that she was used to always have this one thing that was her um, gimmick. Like mm-hmm. she'd wear this oversized, beautiful silk wrap, like over her head, around her neck, down, like it could use it as a shawl, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and she was driving along in her open-top convertible and she literally, yeah, the scarf got caught in the passenger side back of the car wheel and pulled her out of the car and basically um and it's i feel like, like i know this story uh, most people kind of have heard of it but they don't know the name of her um but yeah the, the this was where the dangers were of always wearing a scarf and a soft top you're like oh don't do that i really think i've heard I, if nobody watches my tiktok i have a very morbid curiosity with um famous dead graves and I'm sure the channel I watch, which is Hollywood Graveyards, very good, by the way. It's just really informative. I get to know all about these like really old stars and their lives, like their fascinating lives. I just I love it. It's so interesting, but morbid at the same time. Mm. Um, I'm sure I've heard that on there before. Yeah, so she's... it's something to do, it's the scarf. Yeah, it, it literally just got wrapped around the back hub and it pulled her oh, out of the oh. car and dragged her behind the car. Um, until obviously the car crashed or someone stopped it. I don't, it never really explained it that stopped. part of that. Yeah, until the it car stopped. stopped. Um, but then it was a constant thing. It became a like a never wear a scarf in an open top car because this could happen kind of cautionary tale. Um, <laughs> I'll never wear a scarf again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like it, that, that I found really sort of interesting in the sense that it was kind of related but not at all in the way that she went to her school. She was taught by Isadora. Um, and that is where she found her love of dance and how she decided to um, go on to open the Children's Theatre in London because she wanted That's to give fantastic. other children. Yeah, so she was a free thinker, um, Elsa, mm-hmm. herself, to the extent where she married Charles Lawton, which to this day, people are still on the fence about Charles. Um he is one of those that actors who you just you just weren't sure. Yes, uh, she actually stated in her autobiography that um, 
she married him he was gay she was just married to him for the shits and giggles you know they had a lovely time they were great friends um and they enjoyed each other's company but not in that kind of way he would have his men to entertain and she would entertain her men it's so but it's such a common thing though it's not uncommon that these best friends marry each other because of you know the, the status at the time he, he he would never had a career he just no. wouldn't and it, there's a lot like um the first person who is going to be mentioned on my new TikTok thing is Rudolph Valentino. He right. was exactly the same. He had a lot of women by his side, and but everyone's very convinced that Rudolph Valentino liked the company of men. But that was it was it was just so because again they were just they would never work. Hmm. It wasn't looked at like it it is today, unfortunately. And it's sad it really is sad but these people they 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 bonded to someone who was their best friend yeah she would have been completely there for him i have mm -hmm. heard nothing throughout this whole time of researching her nothing but genuinely lovely stories about this yeah. woman not and it makes me want story. to buy no not one horrible story jack p has had nothing but lovely things to say about her and um, not a crossword the she tried with her performance she for all we think she's just moving her head around a lot and it's some of the most beautiful stills in cinema it is mm -hmm. gorgeous them stills but she really put a lot of thought into how her movement would be as a you know reanimated not even react like just an animated thing that has no concept of anything i've got a question for you then Okay. Is she a zombie? Hmm. I've always wondered hmm. where Frankenstein and the bride lay in that world because Ooh. they're reanimated corpses. So uh -huh. technically, is that yeah. not what a zombie is? Oh, that is? However, they don't thirst for brains and they don't thirst for flesh. See, so with zombies, don't we get the, the brain thirsty mm, from Romero? We only get that mm. from the starting point is Romero. But until then, zombies yeah. like um, white zombie mm. didn't have that lust for brains. Um, I so, think that's just the trope we're so used to seeing now with zombies, yeah, though, isn't it? So yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, I mean, you can correct us if I'm wrong. I feel like I know a bit about Romero because huge fan and everything. But um, I just I, that's like the starting point. So yeah, oh my gosh. I don't want to call them a zombie only because it just takes away some of the beauty of it. It feels disingenuous, but, doesn't it? Yes, it, it uh -huh. doesn't doesn't feel right. Nobody essentially it is. If you're looking at it, just take away like the bloodlust, like the the brainlust and everything, which I never quite understood. I never quite got my head around the fact why would they want brains? Anyone? Is anyone? I, I think. I think. It was because they thought that they could get the knowledge from. But they're dumb. It, well, yeah, but like zombies more... are brain dead, so they wouldn't have the thought process. They can't talk. The only time that I've ever seen, again, he's can correct us if I'm wrong, but is it Land of the Dead where they kind of get some like form of communication? Is that the one with Big Daddy with Eugene Clark in it, where he comes out of the water, Land of the Dead? Um, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, and the Kenny Kenny's goes- lovely. He's a lovely man. He's next to us at a few shows we've done. Oh, really he's nice a, I thoroughly enjoy that movie, and I love the idea of, especially the time it took for them to probably going into content that will be going into later on down the line. But it's uh, I love the idea that he learned. I don't know. I just it was it, it wasn't like a forced thing. Like oh my god. I now understand what this is. It was kind of like it took a while. You picking, he kept picking stuff up. He kept putting it. Do you know what I mean? He kind of like taught himself like a child would, and I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect. Ah, oh, see, you know, see, and you can link that back to Frank when he's with uh, the. I'm going to call him Frank. I know he's not Frank. I know he's the monster. So don't shout at me for that. It's just easier to call him Frank at this point. Um, when Frank meets the hermit in Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and he's in desperate need for food uh or just someone to be around yeah he scares off and I'm not my word this is the word of everybody that's used it he scares off the gypsies in that section uh of the film um and he's just kind of asking them for food but it didn't come across that way so they obviously get scared so then he, he finds the hermit and he, he goes in and because the hermit's blind he doesn't know no what he's What's he's not there? scared yeah and he's not scared of him to where he like there's a, there can be some communication there mm-hmm. because nobody's running away from him like they are continuously doing before that point now that was one thing Karloff hated originally mm-hmm. was the fact that the, the Frank again I'm gonna call him Frank um or Frankie I kind of like Frankie um how he started to develop speech now he as much as we've talked before that that boris karloff hated the process of the makeup he still appreciated it and mm-hmm. still kind of like knew that he created this character with this face and he'd getting it to the point where it was sunken in because he didn't have to use his lips and that iconic look that you see with the sunken in face is from frankenstein mm-hmm. now in this one his muscles are working his cheeks are working which means that Frank's face is no longer the original face that you see in Frankenstein. It's now filled out. And this is why you've got more fuller face Frank is because they had to lose all the sunkenness that Jack Pierce had just beautifully crafted because obviously the only way our mouth works is the muscles in our face. And I found that thoroughly... I went into... There was more information on Frank's makeup mm-hmm. than there was on Elsa's, which was such a shame. The only thing I learned about Elsa's makeup was the hair. Yeah. That is 100% her hair. Yes. That is not a wig. That is not extensions. That is Elsa's hair on her head. And it is put together with a horse cage. Whatever a horse cage is, I don't know. But it's, it's basically <laughs> filled with horse hair. It's like chicken wire uh-huh. filled with horse hair. To bulk uh, it out. Yeah, to, to make the cage not hollow. So they fill it with horse hair. Um, and then they they literally backcombed and stretched her hair over the cage. Um, and, and then they added the white streak in um, as a clip afterwards. Everything else, all the black was her hair, but the white streak they added in as a comb in so that is impressive and there was a few things on frank's makeup that had changed which was pointed out by rick baker 
on a documentary I was watching. So on the original Frankenstein, he actually only has one clip in his hair. Yes. Right there. He has more clips in his hair, which is not something that you would kind of like, you would ever notice, but I guess in Rick Baker's line of work, like his eye is like just on it. And he noticed there was more clips on the side. And his, hang on, I've got notes on this about his makeup. <laughs> Clamp, um, his makeup actually changes four to five times in this movie. Yeah. Because Frank heals. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was extraordinary because I never really, I'm not waiting for Frank in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting for Frankenstein's monster. I'm waiting for her. So I'm really not paying too much attention. His burn marks start to go. His scars start to heal. And I'm like, fuck me. No wonder they claim this movie to be one of the greatest movies ever made. The thing that I never noticed until today, and I've seen this film (laughs) this many times, this many, um, was for the first time today, I noticed when Boris puts his hands out towards her, when she um, turns to him for the first time and she's looking at him all gone out and like, what the fuck are you? Where am I? What's going on? Um, What is that? (laughs) His fingers are still burnt and fused together. They are fused together. If you look at the makeup, he is like this. He's probably only got mobility in his thumb and his little finger. They are all fused. So he was still burnt, but I'd never noticed it before because when he goes to reach for her, you see they're stuck. They're stuck like that and they're burnt together. And I was just like, I've never noticed that. That is some detail, though, for a movie that is a sequel. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a like it's a sequel. This sequel was actually put in place right after the premiere of the first one. As much as James Will didn't want to do it initially, really didn't want to do it. It was put in place straight away after the first one. Um, obviously Boris straight away on board. Now <laughs> we always talk about how Boris Karloff is picked for everything before anyone else. He was well, cast as the bride. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I heard yeah. that. That was on my that was on my notes too. He initially got asked to play the bride along yeah. with Frank. Yeah. <laughs> but two of the players of the Universal Monster cast were actually up for Dr. Pretorius. Mm-hmm. Now I would have shit bricks yes. if one of them got it. It was Claude Rains and mm-hmm. Bella Lagorsi. I would have had kittens if Claude Rains, especially. Had we had the invisible, yeah, we'd had the invisible man. Mm-hmm. So we'd had the invisible. So we had that stellar performance from Claude Rains in the Invisible Man. I would have loved to have seen what. He, don't get us wrong. I think Doctor Pretorius in this is absolutely perfectly cast. I think the guy is. There's just oh, there's something so. I don't know. It's almost well, how how does he remind us of who's the Hammer Horror actor? Um, Peter Cushion. Yes, he has. He reminds us somewhat of him. See, he who... reminds me of Kenneth Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I looked at Ernest, I was like, "Oh, matron, I don't." It's disgusting. Kind of, it just. I, I get that, but oh, also John Hurt. I got a, a little. Is it John Hurt? Am I thinking of John Hurt? There's so many actors in there that I could kind of like go, oh, God, that reminds me of him. I'm sure it's John Hurt, like an older John Hurt. 
kind of yeah. Barker made me laugh because he was trying to describe Ernest Thessinger to people and he was like Thessinger was James Wales mentor when they lived in London he mm-hmm. was his um his teacher is uh, accompaniment type person um and <laughs> he wanted Thessinger he put his foot down he said nope I'm not having the ghosty I'm not having reins I want Thessinger so they let him do what he wanted because obviously they wanted to keep James on they really needed they did need him for this movie yeah and uh Clive Barker said let's be honest (laughs) when he was being interviewed he went he's a queen he's a screaming queen he kept saying in this interview he's like if we put it down to everything you watch him there's a bit where he looks really shocked and he goes like this she's alive and he looks incredibly camp and it all Clive Barker's commentary about his opinion of the bride was that um all the way through he just couldn't get past how camp Thessinger was as Pretorius but he's was like, so good like that oh I love his performance in this um but don't get me wrong I'd have still love to see Claude Rains rock that I really would <laughs> He, he just would have been a megalomaniac if it was Claude Rains, wouldn't he? He just would have been... He would have made it all about him. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it, he wouldn't have had any crazy hair because it would have had to have been nicely made because we don't do makeup, do we? No, we, Claude so, we most certainly don't. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Claude, we love you. And rest in peace and everything. But Jesus, choices choices yeah choices your strawberry jam face wasn't just enough he just looked like you'd had a sandwich and you stuck it on your face <laughs> just wasn't for me. um james whale though the studio i mean you mentioned there that he he had to have and um, the guy who i still can't say his name even though i said it earlier on today and i was so proud of myself and um, he had to have him he also was given everything mm-hmm. You want a lavish set? You can have a lavish set. You want to tidy this shit up? We'll tidy this shit up. We will we will give you anything you want because of the amount of fucking money Frankenstein made them. Mm -hmm. So he got a lot. Did you know Frankenstein grossed the actual original movie grossed 12 million in 1931, which equivalent today is 240.8 million which is roughly around the same as movies of today's standard, because I do my research. Um, she likes her numbers, people. I do. Uh, it's on par with Cruella, the Disney's Cruella that came out with Emma Stone, Ooh. American Pie, Dead Poets Society, Saturday Night Fever, and Batman and Robin. They all took $240 million at the box office. This is a 90-minute movie from the In, 20s? Yes, 1931. 1931 i mean come on but i mean you, you didn't have to put batman and robin in there but well <laughs> i had to get it in there i watched the flash i subjected myself to that cgi bullshit. i am so angry we watched it the other day i i i'm glad i didn't pay for it um <laughs> i ain't giving that shit my money <laughs> it's the one time me and pirate steve are friends are um <laughs> The irony about it, though, is that uh, Frankenstein took more money than the bride, yet the bride is still heralded as being the better than the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think she, I think it was only 
have written it down here somewhere. It it wasn't much less. It was it was around seven million less, but still, as a sequel, it's a cursed thing to do in Hollywood. At that time, I don't think it was because I don't think the curse of the sequel would happen back then. I don't think um, we had sequels like what we do as a, especially what we do now. But I don't even think there was sequels back then. Hmm. This was this was the first ever Universal Monster sequel. And but they milked the, the shit out of the word sequel after this, didn't they? Let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. Because then you've got every other incarnation of Frankenstein. It's like when I went through The Invisible Man, which I'm not doing again. Go back <laughs> and listen. But there was loads of them. And you, you had like stuff that branched off. Like, Ab oh, God, I still can't say this. Abbott and Costello meets dut, dut, dut. Mm -hmm. Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, The Wolfman. You then get that incarnation of it too, and it all comes from you. Carl Lemley Jr. knew exactly what he was fucking doing. Oh, yeah, until he lost the studio a year after this film came out. How, Never. in God's name, in 1935, this movie comes out, it makes approximately seven million less than the original by today's money, but is heralded a masterpiece even in 1935. Mm -hmm. Come around 1936, he's lost it, gone. The studio is gone. That the the Lemley family have absolutely nothing to do with Universal whatsoever after that. What did he do? And I couldn't find out. I'm sure if I'd had more time, I would have been able to dig it. But I literally only found this out about two hours. They never the mentioned that in any other documentaries I watched today. <laughs> Yeah, so I was really shocked. I was like, uh, that was soon after such a successful movie. I bet you so, it was a card game. I bet you really lost it all to a card game. It'll be something really ridiculous. But um, I did find out that he put, there was an extended version. They had to cut around yeah. 20 minutes out. But did you know the scenes that were cut? Did you know? No. About well, I've got a feeling when you see them, I'm going to remember them. There was but it a whole was a lot section. to do with her. There was stuff to do with her, but the biggest scene that was in there that had no context or no bearing on the storyline whatsoever was the actor, and forgive me, I didn't write his name down, that played Renfield in the original Dracula, the Universal's Dracula, the actor that oh, played Renfield. Um, was... It's... Keep going. I'll yeah. remember. He plays, I want to say, is it Carl? Igor character? Um, mm -hmm. in yeah, this, yeah. This movie, and there was a whole sort of setup about how he went a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, and the gist of it was, Lemley put his parents in the film, and Carl killed Lemley's parents and blamed it on Frankenstein. So there was this whole setup of this gimmick thing going on for Bride of Frankenstein, but it took twenty minutes of airtime. And when they showed the first, like. You know, they do like test screenings. They show yeah, the first yeah. test. People hated that scene. They hated it. So they cut the entire scene out. So it reduced the runtime by around 20 minutes once they finally got all the other bits and pieces out as well um, that they that they felt were not needed. But I am still it, trying to find this guy's name because it is bugging me. What? Laurie. It's I is do, it yeah. Laurie. Oh, is he in Bride? He is, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he is. Um, it's Carl. Is it Peter Laurie? Uh, 
was it Peter Lorre? Because he was at, or was he a little bit later on? He might have been later on. I might be thinking of someone completely different. Peter Lorre was, he was an Igor character, but maybe slightly later on. Um, but I think he worked with Boris Karloff. White he, Fry. Oh, well, that was completely off. <laughs> yeah, Which, Dwight Fry, that's his name. Yeah. He, he was right. in the first one more than he was in the sequel because obviously he had to go and steal the the, the bits from the the um museum, yeah. the school and it, I was totally that. off by that one. Yeah. Um he was part he was part of um like Vincent Price's friends, but he was his movies are like Arsenic and All Lace and Casablanca and Yeah. I'm sure he did a few horror, but Peter Laurie. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, so I always thought that was Peter Laurie who played Igor. <laughs> totally wrong. <laughs> it's it's strange because he was never called Igor in those movies. He was Carl. So where this <laughs> Igor trope came from? Wait, did you know him as Igor? Know. I wasn't being the only one. No, I literally presumed that was the name of the character until uh-huh. I found out today. Even though I've seen Frankenstein and I've seen The Bride a thousand times, I'd never paid attention to what they called him. Um, and today they said, yes, this guy that plays Carl, Dwight Fryer played Carl, and he went on and had all of his scenes cut. And I'm like, Carl? Who the bloody hell's Carl? You know, you're just like... <laughs> it's fucking I go. <laughs> I was just so angry with Carl on the first Frankenstein that I didn't really give a chance if they said his name. I was raging when, that, when he started tormenting poor old Frankie for absolutely no reason other than being a jealous little bastard um <laughs> so I didn't really hear if his name was uh, <laughs> ever said um oh I don't know if you knew this you probably did you probably do but Marilyn Harris yes yes the young girl who I'm gonna say it gets yeeted that's actually written in my notes. I knew it would I be. wrote the words yeeted. Yeeted <laughs> into the river, into the well, shallow river known to man in the first one, <laughs> reappears in the second one as a schoolgirl. She is the leader of the schoolgirls. And James Whale made it a point that she was not just going to be an extra. She was going to have a line. He wanted to make such a point. What his point was, I'm not too sure. But he but was very... Frankenstein might not have ever actually killed her. She might have ah. survived. I... That's the take I got from it. But whether that's what he was going for, I don't know. I do like that because all she shouts is, look. <laughs> so it could mean, like, look, I'm still here. Even though you will have no clue who I am. Mm-hmm. But they could be so like like hidden, like Easter eggy. I like that. That's that that's the impression I got. Yeah, it, there was no narrative really um, to do with her other than that. Just saying, oh yeah, she had a little cameo in it, and and it was like there has to be a point. And I tried to look for the point, but I couldn't find. I like point. your point because James liked to have a message behind everything. The huge one that's running through Bride of Frankenstein is a lot of loneliness. Um, The fact that the man who, I don't know what this, how this message comes across, but the, you know, um, Frankenstein, the actual Frankenstein, he doesn't want to play God anymore. 
mm-hmm. and has a lot of self-doubt with the work that he's done and obviously gets talked into doing it again because <laughs> he did it again <laughs> yeah and what the the trope was that they were trying to say when when you see people like overanalyze the, this film mm-hmm. they were saying that um pretorius is his first name septimus but they were saying that septimus Love pretorius that. is like a um it's like the devil yeah and it's like the little was... guy sitting on his shoulder because he it's like yeah it's like the, the angel yes yes because frank's his constant reminder mm-hmm. of what he originally did obviously you've got his love interest as well and you've got Pretorius sitting here saying no no do it do it do it what's the harm I'm gonna do do it do it do it do it do it <laughs> but you knew he was mad as a box of frogs right Pretorius you just knew he wasn't quite he, he was crazy but when you see him not bothered at all in the crypt laughing at like the cr- the crossbones pile of bones that's on the thing having a cigar and eating some dinner uh just over a casually over a coffin mm-hmm. you know I think he was at my house because I've got one in my, my dining room but that's another story uh, <laughs> he, he was uh doesn't shock us <laughs> well he just doesn't shock up, me yeah I, I can fit in it no um not that I tried um he literally it's the way he looks up at Frank uh, uh, I'm gonna keep doing it and I'm sorry it's a habit that is very hard to break he keeps yeah. looking up at Frankie and he and, and he just goes oh it's you or something along those lines there's yeah, no he's... surprise he's not even phased <clears throat> there's nothing going on no and um, there's nothing behind those eyes and it's the thing that this is where they've started introducing as well when he says to Frankenstein's monster um we're making you a friend a woman um because he starts talking about uh he says to him me no like life me like dead or me like death or something like that he has that little section where he says those words mm-hmm. to him um and he says you're wise beyond your years or something like that or beyond your knowledge or something mm-hmm. like that to frank um and then he says well we're making you a, a we're making you a friend um and then when he says it's a woman, you'll slowly hear the the theme tune come in that they use for the bride. Yeah. Which is based on three notes. That's all they use for the bride. Three Do notes you know what on, a, on a sliding. Of? Reminds us of um Cause and Captain's the third kind. Do 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 do. Yeah, they use like a like a sliding upwards noise because it's supposed to emulate her. every time she goes like that, it's supposed to emulate her mood. <laughs> But what you don't notice until you actually go back and watch it once you found this out is every character has their own theme tune in this. So every time you see that character, the background noise will play a very, very small, maybe four or five bars of music that literally oh just is their repeat is no. that person's repeating theme. So Dr. Frankenstein has it, Pretorius has one, Frank has one, uh, the monster has one. Um the bride has one mm-hmm. so yeah they all have a little theme that's played all the way through which is something that they do in more operatic scores uh so when you go to the opera that's the yeah. kind of thing that they do they have the the main characters and they'll, they'll play a very soft version of their what? main theme so i was modern- pretty cool i think that's so cool because in modern times john williams has a tendency especially in the star wars universe everyone has their own music so it's it's not unheard of now but back then i think that's quite clever <laughs> everything yeah. that they do because it's the 1930s i'm like holy shit, that's all fucking transcendent <laughs> like 
but this is where you think people have actually nicked all the ideas from yeah. you know now you sit here going oh i'm so complacent i've seen that a thousand times it's like yeah but if you hadn't seen that first movie you wouldn't have known that's where it comes from you know mm-hmm. and and yeah so up until today when i've sat and watched all these documentaries i could have said quite easily that this and it's probably very controversial is not one of my favorite universal movies because there's some things in it i just didn't quite get you're going to talk about the little people in the jars i didn't get the marsupials <laughs> one was an olympic swimmer i know that <laughs> the mermaid but, lady yeah but i didn't but now that i know certain things behind it it's like when it's like when i watched the babadook for the first time and i know we've said we're not going to do it but no but when i i watched it and i tend to (laughs) i'm not the brightest of people so i'm just watching what's in front of us and i'm not really paying attention to the inner message the hidden message but when Anth explained it to us at the end and when you know it's all about a depression her depression's all locked up and it's you know caged down in the basement and and her her grief is along with it and I'm like oh my god that movie is fucking amazing see (laughs) and that would have been a great film had they have not had that fucking Fucking child a child a child made me not want to watch anything that is the only reason I will never watch the Babadook again that crotch goblin is an absolute (laughs) <laughs> nightmare that, that high-pitched charlie and the chocolate factory <gasps> face he's got when he's it screaming does. at his mom i'm like oh no 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 i'm yeah you you out. make me you make me happy for my life choices um but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah but once and explained that to us and i looked back in like kind of like relived the movie in my head i went oh my god that is fucking genius like that is amazing that is such a brilliant what an amazing movie i'm doing the same now mm-hmm. with bride because of all the hidden meaning and messages behind it mm-hmm. and especially the loneliness side i never really looked at it from frank's point of view because again like i said i'm not looking at frank in this movie i'm waiting for her yeah and i don't get her at the last 10 minutes I was going to say, yeah, because I mean, for what, one hour and ten, an hour and five, you've got Frank. You've got Who the doctor. He doesn't come in. He doesn't come in until the first 15, 20 minutes. I was going to say, you see him briefly at the very, very beginning and mm-hmm. then he disappears for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So then it's all about Pretorius sort of. A lot of dialogue. Bring in his ear, trying to get him to do what he's, you know, oh, he do can it, do, do it, it again. Do it yeah yeah um, but did you know this film was banned in three countries when it came out in 1935 because they said it had uh religious undertones where there was a one piece of dialogue where uh Pretorius is speaking to Dr Frankenstein and he says something about like um you can take your sensibilities um and your uh it's something along the lines of your your fairy tales when he's talking about the bible and in 1935 you don't bad mouth god that was a no no you can't obviously be the beatles learned that the hard way (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so even in the 60s it was shit shit out of luck but yeah back in the 30s it was definitely a no-no and um he they had to go back and recut that but they compared these three countries which was trinidad hungary and palestine said that it was too religious under tony because they were trying to compare uh the monster to 
um, Christ, like as an undertone. And I'm like, I can see where the, the thought is, but it's far from it. I can see how they it's like might have got that. Fetched. It, all you're getting is someone who's risen from the dead. Like, that's the only thing that, unless I am completely high, I'm not very versed upon my Bible, I might say. So kind of like, I don't I don't quite get it. Um, I think it was because nothing else had come about before of a movie where something had risen from the dead. That was the only other oh, reference yeah. they had was Jeebus. You know, that was it. Mm. So I mean, that's a good point. This was one of the most um, universal's most controversial movies, given mm. how much it had to be um, dragged through the senses. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I can it, never quite understand why. I think with today's eyes, you just don't. But in, no, that's in, true. I'm not looking at it through the 1930s and like, holy shit! <laughs> but uh, in China, they had to cut four scenes out of the, the version we know now. I bet you it was um, the ending with the bride. <laughs> Everyone's just like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Who's the bride then? Yeah, and uh, in Sweden, they had to cut 25 scenes. That's not a fucking movie then. It, I can't see how it was any longer than 45 you've got, minutes. You've got the beginning, which is probably all right, with the whole Mary Shelley bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the beginning. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only bit of the movie that looks like a film from the 1930s. Yeah. Because of the grand set and the costumes and everyone looks completely and utterly normal. So that is the only part in it until you get to the next few scenes and then you're like, oh, okay, changes. It's... I don't get that. But yeah, this movie just, for all, for all, it is hailed a masterpiece of cinema. And I have heard that many times today. It's held up there with the likes yeah. of Gone with the Wind and Casablanca and, you know, one of the greatest Hollywood movies. They don't class it as a horror movie. Aye. Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. It's ever been done. It didn't half go through the fucking ringer to get to where it is. She was the first and only female Universal monster. And she also was the only Universal monster never to kill anyone. But we have a body I- count. Yes, and it's not her body count, though. It, no, it's not. Yeah. We do have a body count. So yeah. in the original cut, it's not going to be Claude Rains. Uh, it's not <laughs> beating the Invisible Man, uh, which was actually 122. Sorry, I think we said 124 last week. It's 122. Oh, um, and two people, damn it. Uh, they survived. Um, the body count on the original cut was 21. Really? When it was trimmed down, it was 10. So I'm going to take the original cut. Yeah. It still doesn't match up to the other 101 that the Invisible Man managed to do. That's crazy, because in Frankenstein, didn't he only one? Yeah, the kid. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <The> ki- <laughs> really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I suppose but- if you're counting Frank himself, the bride, and Pretorius at the end... But- as well in there, I suppose. I, potentially, it didn't actually like because it's on the Invisible Man. Want to give us a breakdown? This just said numbers. Right. Didn't actually say who. It's like you just go and watch the fucking movie and count yourself. Do you know what I mean? Do your own work, Sam. Like, don't expect the internet to give you these kind of answers. Um, 
but that end scene with the with him sending out Frankenstein, the Frankenstein, and saying, yeah. "You live, you live." Yeah. And then yeah. we baddies, we're gonna stay. Why he had to take the bride down, I don't know. What did she ever do? Because I think he knew that she wasn't meant to be either. Yeah, she wasn't meant like, for this world. Yeah, like he knew that he had lived a lifetime in the, I don't know how long these two movies were based over. Straight the after each other. But in so uh, literally... are we talking a week, a couple of days, you know, like, you know what I mean? In, in like. Yeah. You know. He's, put it this way he's had time to develop. He's, he he's understanding speech and feeling, probably not to the degree of us, yeah, obviously, but he has developed some form of feeling because otherwise he would never have sent him out saying, you live. He's experienced what monsters humans are. Um, mm -hmm. And he, I think he cared enough for her to not expose her to that. You know, because you could see when he yeah. saw her, and he was stroking her hand. Mm -hmm. He was just so happy he finally had someone. Mm -hmm. And it was like the smile he had on his face. And I think that's one of very few smiles you see across the two movies. Um, and she she was just petrified the whole time. Horrified. Absolutely freaking petrified. Um, and and it, I think to this day, that line will always stay with me because it was actually voted number 63 in the the top 100's greatest movie lines ever stated. Mm -hmm. We belong dead. Yeah. When he grabs his baseball bat and he blows him up, you know. Because sometimes death is better. Mm. Oh, I can do that better. Hang on. Sometimes death is better. There you go. <laughs> but it's that other line that I love as well about God and monsters, which has just gone completely from my mind. But it's it's. Um, I, I used it at the beginning. Um, it's Pretorius yeah. who says it, yeah, and he's just, just standing with them. And it's oh my god, Sam, you didn't write that many notes. It was um, to, it's like a it's like a cheers, yeah, to a new world of God and monsters. That's it, Muzzle yeah. Tough. Like Muzzle you know what I mean? Like bless yeah, it's you. Like a, yeah, yeah, it's like a cheers. Um, and it's Pretorius who says, I love that line. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that James Whale's biography movie with um, Sir Ian McKellen yes. and a very young Brendan Fraser mm -hmm. is named after that. Even though I did once disgracefully say the wrong name, I apologise. I have watched the first part of that. I just never got around to finishing it. <laughs> a sad thing about the whole Colin Clive thing was there was an icky situation where they cast when they cast um Valerie Hobson, who played his fiance, mm -hmm. she was only 17 at the time. And he 17. was 34. I read yeah, that. That was a bit I mean, okay, different time. Oh can't, can't uh, yeah. really comment with today's eyes, but uh, no, yeah. thank you. There's that. No. Yeah. That's on the line of but I know nothing happened, but still it, you know, nothing physical yeah. or anything but it they liked yeah. casting the women young and the men middle-aged in them days i don't know what that was it it, it was weird you know sensibilities <sighs> of people's choices were very very strange back then but um colin clive that was very very sad dr frankenstein uh in 1937 he died uh no. two years after 
Um, he basically died of tuberculosis, but he had uh, issues due to long-term alcoholism. He was a, a proper, like, 100% um, alcoholic. Uh, he died, um, but his ashes were left unclaimed in an L.A. funeral parlour for 40 years. Colin Clive! Colin Clive. His ashes were left unclaimed for 40 years. That shocks the life out of me. Yeah. I begin, because of my morbid curiosity, I follow a lot of accounts, um, who do go to... Um, okay, so for example, the kid who played Pugsley Adams yeah. in the original Adams family, unfortunately, mm -hmm. passed away in 2014, and he was just handed to his family. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in the death community had reached out they have this group and they reached out and said we would like to take him and we would like to inter him into hollywood forever cemetery i think that's where he's at and we want to do it on our dime they've obviously had a go fund me and we want to do it on our dime but we believe he belongs here he was a hollywood star he belongs where people can come and appreciate him and you know respect him and everything and the family were totally fine with that and that's what they do they find people who a lot of a lot it's really sad a lot of hollywood stars have a lot of unmarked graves yeah because as we are now finding out with the strikes they're not as well off as what we think they are <laughs> oh i and have to say of... some of that has been a shock seeing how very little shock. some of the more uh well-known faces that you see yeah on like tv regulars and how little they're on because you only ever hear the main cast of oh, ross rachel and phoebe were getting a million dollars an episode when they were filming the last couple, and, you know so yeah. you you automatically think ah. oh wait, everyone else is getting that but yeah no it's it's terrible and especially the the fact that you know during the pandemic and the fact that they couldn't work the residuals should have really kept them going and it didn't but the same goes for back in the day there's a lot of hollywood actors who don't have marked graves they're just in the ground that's as much as what the family could afford and there are people out there who will do gofundmes and they will buy this person or this actress actor a plaque there well, you go morbid minute with sam <laughs> well i'm just trying to look up the name of this the cemetery i went to um in LA, uh, it's the West something. Ugh, West uh, Westfield Memorial. Yes, fucking hate that I knew that. I've been there <laughs> twice, three times. Who, who, times. Just tell us one person who's there, and I'll know exactly which one it is. Heather O'Rourke. Yeah, uh, Marilyn. Dominic um, Dunn's right next to her. Yeah. Oh Dominic my god, Dunn, Marilyn um, Monroe. I was going to say Manson for fuck's sake. Uh, That'd Marilyn be weird. <laughs> yeah, Hugh Hefner, Jack Lemon, Betty Page. Yes, um, I know exactly which one it is. Yeah, and it's in the middle of an office block. You just you've got an office block here, office block there, office block over there, and it's just this tiny little, uh, like rec, uh, like a rectangle in the middle of this concrete jungle. And um, you're walking around, you're going stars, you know, and it's stars, like, stars, it, stars, stars. It is crazy. And I took a photo when I first went in 2010. I took a photo of Heather Rock's front. Because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God. And I took a photo of it. And I think I put it up. And I can't remember whether it was on my personal page or uh, Bleeding Marvelous. And I got so much shit. Really? Putting that photo up. 
because they were like, oh, why can't you let her rest in peace? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't bloody get a Ouija board out and try to summon her, did I? I was just I didn't try photo. and get open the panel up <laughs> yeah. and try and climb on inside. You yeah. took a picture of the plaque. It is the most common thing right now. TikTok videos, YouTube videos. I think for me, it's the respect level and the fact mm. that I'm getting to know about these people. Yeah. Like there's so many old stars of silent movies in the 1920s and 30s that I wouldn't have a clue about if I wasn't watching these programs. I get lost in them. Yeah, Scott on Tape's a good one. He gets really, really thorough, Scott on Tape. Yes, I've, I've watched a lot of Scott and um, Jake the Lion something. Mm -hmm. He does quite a few. Um, but my favourite will always be Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Graveyards. Um, Vic, uh, what's his name? Arthur Dark? Oh, he's just got... Um, voice that is just like velvet um so just to bring it back round to yes, sorry universal monsters no i'm still going to talk about graves <laughs> boris karloff mm -hmm. nobody knows where he's buried i do where is it in it is in england because the, yeah. the there's a plaque for him in a mm -hmm. garden yes but that's he's... not where he is well supposedly that's where <sighs> the rumor is he was buried in that cemetery where his where the plaque is uh-huh um but there is about three or four different versions of the story and oh no God. one really knows now other than i i presume it's a family secret but i i'm not sure if even a family know anymore uh one of them was that he was buried there in an unmarked grave because they didn't want the adoration so they put the plaque away from the grave i heard that that he was um, that if he was buried he was buried in an unmarked grave somewhere yeah so only the family was supposed to know where it was but they um, lost him and he got lost <laughs> the other one <laughs> the other one was the family took him home and put the plaque there mm -hmm. um and he was either distributed if he, was, if he was cremated, I'm hoping he was because dismembering a dead That's corpse would have been interesting. Weird. <laughs> hey. Hey, it would, have, it would have <laughs> went in his line of, you know, his famous role. So it could have just um, been honouring that. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was that he stayed in America, um, but they wanted to put something in Guildford, which I find weird because as far as I was aware, he was a Londoner. He wasn't yeah. born in Guildford, so why is it in a plaque? Why is the plaque in a cemetery in a random place way outside of London? You know that Guildford is basically where they film Top Gear, right? <laughs> it's in the but middle. That's of what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very expensive village outside of London. It's a home county, and it's like money. It's uh, money, right. money, 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 money. So. I don't know the whole Guildford thing, like why they would do that, especially with him being in London, but I can't imagine him not being in England. It's where he's from, you uh -huh. know. He was um, very proud of his, like he didn't change his accent, that like, he kept it, he kept himself 100. Mm -hmm. I mean, the he, man... Did you know he had a lisp? Yes. I found out today he had a lisp, and I, that, that really sort of made me go... I think that came up in one of oh. my, yeah, uh, one of my, my documentaries that I've watched today, which just repeated the same thing over and over again. It really did. Yeah, because I mean, the thing... Sorry, no, go, go on. No, go on. The thing I heard the most was about how Elsa made the noises. I don't know if you got this. From I'll the let geese. You do it. Go on, you say it. <laughs> it's the geese. She, she hated geese, and they were evil, and they made a hissing noise. 
and it's that one just before after she screams and everything she just makes this god-awful hiss at him um she said she was walking through regent's park and she just saw the way they were acting with each other the when they were like facing each other off and she heard one of them make that noise and she was like that makes me uncomfortable but i'll remember that for something and then the fuckers don't even need to look at each other just need to look at other at me that honestly terrify the life out of us just don't it's the noise they make so yeah <laughs> that noise is a, is a geese noise that she makes now for all that this is her one and done movie mm-hmm. technically there has been other incarnations of the bride the more the one that i didn't see which is probably the most obvious is helena borna carter in mary shirley's frankenstein which technically be, could be cast as the bride not the way that you see her as mm-hmm. elsa plays her but the idea of her is the bride well they stuck to the novelization didn't they for the kenneth is, Branagh version. is that the one that's called the modern prometheus yeah i think it's frankenstein parenthesis the modern prometheus, prometheus. Yeah. yeah prometheus um it, that was the original name of the book that uh mary shelley wrote in 1818 um right so in that book it covers the bride which is something that obviously they had thought about doing at some point they must have done when they read mary shelley's book and saw that it went on for that long they must have thought right we can make two movies out of this Mm -hmm. but when you do the kenneth branner version it's all in one and it's really zipped through pretty quickly and it's De Niro, isn't it? Plays monster. Yeah, and so I'm not gonna lie, I quite like it. I, I like it. It's different. It's completely different. Yeah. Um, Don't try and compare it to this. It's not no. It's like no. comparing the monsters to yeah. it. You know, Herman and bloody Lily. They are it, the bride and, and Frankenstein's monster. That's what yeah. they are, but they're not at all mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time. You know, so yeah. Don't try and compare it. I'll tell you which one I did like. Um, and we haven't done Frank by himself, have we? Mm-mm. We're not going to have a lot of things to go off with Frank, you know, because we, he gets covered in quite a bit. Um, but I did see um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee, Ivy Johnny Lee Miller, um, at their stage show. And you I saw got, that. I am so jealous. I saw that. I have to say I saw... Johnny Lee Miller, because this change rules. So I saw Johnny Lee Miller playing the monster. Yes. I've never had an opinion on Johnny Lee Miller. Never. Doesn't cross my radar. Not really interested. He is in one of my husband's favorite films. Hackers. Hackers, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, but I've not really had an opinion on him. When I watched him in that, that's acting. That was acting. When you can out-act Benedict Cumberbatch on stage and run fucking circles around him, that honestly, he was breathtaking to watch. I didn't want to see the reverse. I was so happy with what I got. I do urge anyone, because it is available to watch. You can watch both versions of them. Just just to watch him. It's a pure masterclass of acting. Because he was engaged to, I don't know if he married Angelina Jolie, but I know that they were together at one point, weren't they? They were. And that brings me round to the fact that she was meant to play her, the bride, in 
the Dark World's revival. Yeah, the Tom Cruise nastiness that I'm glad they Yeah, it was yeah. going to be Angelina Jolie. Um, <laughs> um, you, <laughs> for anyone watching on YouTube, you will see that my face has lit up. This is because I have now <laughs> taken to Wikipedia. Um, this one really interested us. I'm not a program that I ever watched, but Penny Dreadful. Mm -hmm. So Penny Dreadful, the bride appears as Brona Croft. Yep. which is played by Billy Piper, an Irish yep. immigrant with a dark past who dies of tuberculosis. Goddamn she tuberculosis. was a lady of the night in that, and she ah. got really ill. Um, and then Dr. Frankenstein got his hands on her, created her. But she was very self-aware in this. She, oh, my Penny God. Dreadful, so was Frankenstein. It was um, Rory Kinnear, Frankenstein in Penny right. Um And then you had her and him. And what the hound? Um, is that Rory? No, Rory Kinnear is in Men. He's in. Um, oh, God. It's not so who I'm stuff. thinking of, though. If you Google Rory Kinnear, you'll see. I know who you mean. You're thinking of. I'm it's, think, yeah. It's not it's him. It's not him. Um, Rory Kinnear's a small little bald guy. Um, oh, it's definitely was, not him. Then. Yeah. Um, his dad was Rory Kinnear, who was a big uh, comedian in the 80s. But Rory's like a proper serious actor now, and he does a lot oh. of stuff. He plays creepy weirdos really, really well. Um, but, yeah, he, he was cast in Penny Dreadful as the monster and Billy played the bride. Now, I when I saw that she was cast, I was like, oh, really? no. But she did a bloody good job in that, and I was mm -hmm. really quite taken aback. Um, it's not the bride as you know it. it you're not going in yeah. with any um, preconceived notions as to the universal version, but... She's very self-aware. She knows what's happening. She knows what she needs to achieve. I would say she gets more vindictive in this film than Pretorius does in the original. She's very crafty. She's very... So she's got thoughts. Yes, yeah. Um, and for, for the time base of when they set it, which is, I think, around the same time as the movies, I think Penny Dreadful's somewhere in that, like, 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's set in the same timeline, so that the aesthetics is roughly the same, but it's not the same. So it's, yeah, it's it's a whole. But I would recommend it, and and I do. Timothy Dalton, Eva oh. Green, Josh Hartnett. Um, it's the aesthetic wise, it's, it's so up my street, and especially with the horror element to it, it's mm -hmm. just something that completely bypassed us. And I just by the time it was, I think this is obviously before the internet was the way it is now that I just, you know, I can just go and pick it up wherever I want yeah. to. But back then it kind of had to go and really look for it. Yeah. I think the one that I can't not mention is the 1988 animated film, animated film, Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. Because that has the Bride of Frankenstein in it as well. And she is named Repulsa. And she is voiced by Betty Jean Ward. I know that name. Betty Ross in The Incredible Hulk. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only one that, I, oh, she's she's a voice actress. So she's been in, yeah. she's got like Little Rascals, Tailspin, Star Stars, Witch, um, the the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. Like she's she's got a plethora of voice mm -hmm. credits to her. And she, yes, yeah, so the bride was featured in a Scooby Doo episode, which I don't see. It, I, I, that's, I, I, 
just yes, of course it would. Of course she would be in Scooby Doo. I can't imagine like the Universal Monsters not being in the Scooby Doo universe. <laughs> My favourite fact of all the facts about Elsa is that she was five foot four. Well, you're gonna love that. She was five foot four, so she's in my wheelhouse. She's she was an inch taller than me. But now I found two different versions of what they said they did. Uh one version said they put her on stilts, and another version said they put her on giant platforms. I so heard giant she, platforms. So she was akin to the men. She had to be seven foot tall. But if you look at her when she's um when she's next to the men, she's roughly their height. So I'm mm. guessing it's got to be more like six foot something they're in that sort of realm really but if you look i noticed it today because obviously they give her the sheet dress yeah um when she's standing compared to when she's laying on the the board and they pull her up and you see her all bandaged mm-hmm. <laughs> when she stands up <laughs> and she's got the sheet dress on you yeah. can see um it's right down to the floor it's literally touching the floor because they're trying to hide the platforms the bottom mm-hmm. of the so but you can see them like through the not th- the the material isn't like see through, but you can see when she's shuffling and moving these great big like things punching <laughs> at the material. And I was like, I can appreciate that, but she moved so well on them because I yeah. would have broken my ankle. She has but, so much grace. That's the word I've been looking for with the whole ballerina thing: grace, dignity. The most beautiful thing about her is her clear head. Mm. is the fact that when she yeah she looks she looks horrified and there is some moments of but her eyes are still wondrous they're still like looking around and trying to figure everything out and she is one of if not the most stunning stunning monsters that will grace our list Mm -hmm. ever yeah i mean i I don't know who would go about their way to uh Try and imitate some of that in their daily life. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Don't, because I'll end up matching you at some point. You know it's going to happen. I want to have some white streak in there somewhere. And I uh, don't know who would like decorate their house with this kind of aesthetic. You know? Let's just appreciate. I think we're going to do this every episode now. <laughs> Appreciating Dan's background. If you're a, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you will be able to see the fantastic background that once again that she has. If you're listening on Spotify, on Spotify or iTunes, go and get yourself on YouTube and look at it. It is phenomenal. The picture this is my favorite. Is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's made out of those iron-on beads. Oh no, really? Yeah, I got it done. Uh, somebody in America made it for me. And uh, they got this old frame, and they basically have got every gradient of white, grey, and black. And there's even a little bit of like tan brown oh, where they, wow. they made the pixels of these two. So from far away, it looks amazing. Up close, mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a Monet. Oh, no, it, 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 so, it's, it's a perfect image like of them two. I actually have, and you're not going to be able to see it because I am in my office, <laughs> um, but in my bedroom above my bed, is on Anne's side Frank and on my side the bride and they were done by my best friend and they are canvas prints that hang above our side of the bed this one here I don't know if you can see that very well so I'll just move my little kind of like a light shining on it yeah that'll be oh I can make her out now I can see her face this was done by um Sean Davis 
I've got the matching Frankenstein. So they both sit looking at each other as I walk up the stairs. So there's, she, there's her there and then there's Frank and they're both looking at each other. But it's done with mainly dot work. Oh, that's incredible. So it, I fell in love with the minute I saw them go up. I was absolutely, absolutely in love with them. And I was like, yep, I don't care. I want them. Carolyn's Carolyn's original um, paintings of the bride and Frank, um, I swear to God, were absolutely the colours in it. I've just got a print on canvas of the original, but my God, the colours on it. They were absolutely stunning, especially on the bride. And I don't think she actually has the originals anymore. I think they went a long time ago, but her greens and blues she used for a background were absolutely gorgeous. And I am so lucky that I have the canvases on my wall because I've looked for years because I always wanted the Frank and Bride on, mm -hmm. on our side of the bed. And I could never find it was always either one of them was looking this way or one of them was looking straight forward. And I just wanted the profile straight forward. Yeah. And she had done both of them, so they sit on my in my bedroom. I love I, them. I would suggest going and looking on Mondo, um, the prints from Mondo. I would love to go and pay Mondo prices. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> do that, but there was Mondo, and then there's another one, and I've gotten for the life of me. But the the I've got two of the prints uh, canvases in my in my hall, and one is of Frank when he's doing this, the monster. Um, and the colours in that are absolutely stunning. And the other one is of um, Lugosi when he's Ugh. all dragged out. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're just like, and they are some of the most beautiful. It's like, even just as a print on canvas, they are absolutely stunning. Or the most basic of monsters, colour wise. Like, I'm not saying look wise, but colour wise, the, the very, like, she is very black and white. And he has. I know, he, I know in the movie is black and white, but he's, we've always had that image of like green. Mm -hmm. You can get some striking colours from especially him. But some apparently he was that colour. Um, black and white or green? Green. Um, Jack Pierce talked to um, the cinematographer, who the guy who was doing most of the filming for, for the movies, and he said, I need to know what colours show up the best I, I i you know what colors that i paint the monster are gonna portray him in the best light so they all got together james well i can't remember the cinematographer's name and um jack pierce and they sat down and they worked out different paint schemes and they filmed them to see how they would look mm -hmm. in the in the black and white um pure white was a no you wouldn't be able to see him no um they tried grayer makeups to see they tried the pink makeup and um, the one that worked the best that. was the green and blue it just just lifted the the colors and gave such a uh, a varied color on his face you could see like you say in the, the first one the cheeks the cheeks you need to see the definition you need but you need it with that amount of work going in on that face you need to see all of that detail so i can understand why they would look for it i know um alfred hitchcock had a thing of using browns mm -hmm. in black and white to make colors stand out but i'm guessing i don't know cameras obviously change <laughs> well the monsters was all filmed in pink Adam's family. Um, Adam's family yes. is all in pink. So yeah. it's look like... at look at set pictures of the actual. It looks weird. It looks yeah, it so odd. weird, but it's still iconic. Um, any more factoids before we wrap this bad boy up? Good question. Because I have none. 
I tell you what, though, for a, a movie that we were kind of worried about, <laughs> we've managed to take this one. I think so. Um, I, I can't go without mentioning the screaming woman being in it. Oh, twice. my God. How the hell did we forget Una O'Connor? <laughs> she was the first time she's in it. She's walking the dogs belonging to Mary Shelley at the beginning. Uh-huh. She plays the, the maid. And then she's in it again as obviously the <laughs> It's where she comes up to him and looks at him and then goes to scream and then turns away and then actually screams as she turns back. But that was the first time that anybody could, that people couldn't understand on set James Whale's humour, um, yeah. why he kept using her. But she was his camp, his uh, Barbara Windsor, you know, yeah. to his carry-on movies um she had that similar like effect that he liked having her there for the comedic value because she wasn't afraid to be ugly and be funny because that's that's the only role you were allowed to play you weren't allowed to play funny and pretty you had to be funny and ugly pretty just had to stand there and smile you know i can't believe we went this whole episode i even mentioned it at the beginning and forgot one of the best do you know what she is probably the she puts the scream in scream queen (laughs) the original scream queen she is the original scream queen god graham we are so sorry we did not sorry graham we did not bring her up sooner but yes we you can't not mention una o'connor legendary yeah any more Um, uh, only that she was also in Lassie Come Home. <laughs> in 1943, Elsa was in Lassie Come Home, and obviously, 1964's Mary Poppins. Um, it honestly blows my mind. Not a lot of people know that she was Nana. You know, they don't know she was the the, the nanny. Really Nana? Yeah, they don't know that. Um, because I think it's because, obviously, without being... Um, I'm not body shaming her in any way, but she had changed physically from the woman you knew in the 30s she's by the time f- she's, she's come along. She's very full of face. She's obviously, yeah. you know, she's aging, with, she's aging with dignity, man. She's aging the way that we are meant to. It, and, you know, and I, can that, se- I can see it as the eyes. I've always known it's that, that that was the bride. It's that. It's the little mm. dimple in her chin. That will never, that will never not be the thing. But, um, yeah, I put a post up probably about three months ago uh, on the page just saying, you know, this was The Bride of Frankenstein. And it was 50-50. I was quite really? surprised how many people didn't know. Um, which, I, I when once you see it, everybody's like... Yeah, you oh. can't unsee it now. Yeah, but um, yeah, that, that one was a shock to a lot of people. I think it's fantastic. I always knew. Because I always pointed out, I love Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's probably one of the most one Disney film I can get away with is Mary Poppins. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap this bad boy up. So we are out every Monday, Monster Monday. And we are available on YouTube. Oh, actually, sorry, start again. Monster Monday, 7 o'clock premiere on YouTube um, every Monday. We are also on iTunes and Spotify. If you search Monsters Up North, you will find our own little section. And um, you know, hi, we're there. <laughs> we are there. Um, if you, you know, 
can give this a like a share and, a, and subscribe to the channel and thanks to everyone who's done so so far thank you for liking thank you for sharing thank you to everyone who joins us on a monday night we absolutely love you lot for coming and supporting monsters yes yeah. i don't like people but i like you i like yous a lot and you know if you if you're feeling you know you know nice and generous you might go back and watch some of our older episodes or even listen to some of our older episodes do you agree with us do you just disagree with us let us know we are yeah. interested next week next week a little bit different a little mm. bit more of an up-to-date monster We're we going are going into the future <laughs> future <laughs> I am so tired. Yep, that's that's that tiredness is kicked right in, and mm. we're going we're going down the sinister route, mm. and we are looking at. Do you want me to say it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bagul, bagul, or if you're French, bagul, <laughs> bagule. Yeah. Bagoule, that's it. <laughs> Hyphenated. Yeah, we are going to be doing the Bagool from the Sinister movies. Really interesting because he's a character that doesn't, I don't believe, get a lot of mention, especially within the horror community. We really focus on our Freddies, our Jasons, our Michaels. Mm. I don't think this guy gets enough credit and he has done some absolute sinister work. <laughs> so what you did there. <laughs> so this may be a 10-minute episode or it could be an hour and a half. Listen, we said this last week we about the bride. We've managed to drag this one out. We did well. Rinsed I think it's it. going to be. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be having a look at it with. I'm going to try and do it with a fresh pair of eyes. It's been a long time. Yeah, so please join us on Monday for our next episode. That's it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Bride in the bag. <laughs> Gone. Well, thanks for watching, everyone, and stay nerdy, everyone. Wow, that went wrong. Let's try that again. You ready? Stay nerdy, everyone. Bye. <laughs>